Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 2. And this is on page 983 in the church Bibles. And this morning uh, we're looking at verses 11 and 12, but we'll begin our reading back at verse 1 uh, to set the context. Colossians chapter 2 and beginning our reading at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. We just sang there from Psalm 119, and the question was, how can a young person keep their life pure? Uh, That question is a challenging one because There are many messages that young people, and all of us really, are faced with. Uh, What is living a full life look like? Uh, And oftentimes it's not stated explicitly, but we can get a message conveyed to us nonetheless that says, if you're really going to live life to the full, then you need to experiment with different things. You need to explore different things. You need to throw off all boundaries. Uh, You need to go uh, without any kind of rooting or any kind of framework to how life should be lived. Cast off all restraint. But as we think about how to live life to the full, uh, sometimes uh, that same kind of mindset can come into uh, religious circles as well, into the church. And people can wrestle with the question, how does one live a full life to God? Uh, What does it look like to live one's life fully uh, unto the Lord? And that was really what Paul was writing to the Colossians about. Uh, We've already mentioned and we've read there already how Paul was warning the church in Colossae about false teachings that were infiltrating the church, uh, that there was uh, philosophies that weren't rooted in the word of God, that were trying to teach people to think a different way. There were also certain commandments, certain traditions uh, that were being imposed or being pressed against the church. And there was a certain plausibility to it that people were starting to think, well, maybe 
Maybe if we do these things, then we will feel like full or complete believers. We're doing all the things, and so God must be pleased with us. Maybe if we explore these philosophies, we'll be, we'll be wiser still. And, and so we should really embrace all these things uh, into our faith. And you remember that Paul was warning them not to simply embrace all these messages that they're getting, but rather to see that they're complete in Christ. That if you have Christ, then you are living the full life. That what really matters is being shaped by Christ and seeing yourself with reference to Christ. And you remember before that Paul even gave arguments for why we should find our life in Christ. You remember in verse 9 that he said, In him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Why should I live my life with reference to Jesus? Why should I prioritize him? And Paul's saying, do you remember who Christ is? He is the fullness of God in human form. The fullness of deity bodily. He says in verse 10 and 11 that in him he is the head and rule over all things. That Jesus has authority and power over all of creation. And so because of his power, because of his authority, because of who he is, there is nothing that we should look for outside of Christ in order to find fullness in life. Christ is a complete solution because of who he is. But this morning we want to turn again, and you notice there in verse 11, Paul is adding another reason why we should look to Christ. And he says, in him also. He's calling attention to another reason why we should find Christ as all-sufficient, a complete package for how to live a life. How Jesus is the answer to all of our longings. And he gives this answer in verse 11 and 12 by referencing something that we wouldn't expect. Circumcision. Circumcision is not perhaps something that we would ordinarily talk about. Uh, and it might seem uh, archaic for us to think about it this morning. But bringing up this matter, Paul is underneath it showing something very important that helps us understand why Christ is complete. And so this morning we want to see that because, because Christ has been circumcised, and those who are united to Christ in faith are therefore circumcised. They have all life and blessings from God's grace. And so we want to look at this, this practice of circumcision in two thoughts. We want to think about the rite of circumcision, the, the practice of it. And then we want to think about the realization of what circumcision was all about in Christ in order that we can come away understanding why we don't have to look to the traditions, the practices, the commandments of men in order to feel secure before God, right? People will look to something to find, and this is who I am. This is why I can be secure in myself. And in religious settings, the tendency is always to revert back to, and I did this. 
In church circles, it'll be, I did these things in my life, and therefore God is happy with me. And what Paul is doing is, is one swoop, he is dismantling that idea and replacing it with Christ himself. It's when we see who Christ is that we can be truly secure because he provides us all that we stand in need of. And so we want to look uh, this morning briefly at these two thoughts, the right of circumcision and the realization of circumcision. What was circumcision? What is circumcision? But what was it uh, when it was practiced in the Old Covenant period? Circumcision, uh, the physical right of circumcision, was something that was established by God according to his promise to Abraham. That circumcision was part of God's covenant uh, promise to Abraham and to his offspring after him. We read there in Genesis chapter 17, and you heard that God promised to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God then commanded Abraham to circumcise every male uh, uh, in his uh, group among them as a sign of that covenant. And the, that sign was the cutting off of the foreskin, a part, a part of the skin on the male reproductive organ. But what was circumcision all about? Circumcision was about identity. It wouldn't be, it would be a misrepresentation to simply think of circumcision as a national badge. Because when God gave this sign to Abraham, there was no nation. But more than that, because there were other nations surrounding regions that did practice circumcision besides the people of Abraham. It was practiced in other lands. But circumcision became an identity marker for the people of Abraham because it was uh, calling attention to God's promise. It was calling attention to the relationship, the covenant relationship that they were in with God. And so if you asked a, a child of Abraham, uh, a descendant of Abraham, what does it mean to be circumcised? They would tell you it means that we are part of the people of God, that we are in covenant relationship with God. And so they could tell you who they are because of the, the right of circumcision. So it, it's not simply a, a national thing. It is, it is something that identifies them. It marks them. It has great meaning, therefore, attached to it. Uh, it is something that, again, as we read in Genesis, that if a person was not circumcised, they were cut off from the people of God. They were saying, we're not part of God's promises. We're not part of God's people. And so there was a great importance attached to that right. So it identified them. But there was a meaning attached to it as well. It wasn't just a, a procedure that was done, but it was meant to teach the people. How do we know that? Because the Old Testament itself teaches that. In the Old Testament, we read how uh, it pointed beyond itself, the physical right pointed to an inward reality. The cutting off of a portion of the skin was intended to depict the need for an inner change as well. A cutting off of the inward part, that, that the sinful nature was also to be broken off and a transformation was to be happening inwardly even as a change is happening outwardly. 
The, the outward cutting off of the skin was meant to convey an inward cutting away of the heart, a, a, a breaking off from the sinful nature, and a change uh, with a new heart as a result. So it says in Deuteronomy 10, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts and no longer be stubborn. You see, circumcision was always used to, to depict something beyond itself. Just as the people were saying, we are being marked off here physically. They were saying there needs to be an inward change of breaking off from sin, of no longer being stubborn, but of being united to God and united uh, with God's will and therefore delighting in the Lord. Circumcision, though, wasn't just uh, a negative thing. It, it depicted what a true Israelite was. A true Israelite was someone who had been changed. A true Israelite was then one who was no longer fighting against God, but through a change, a cutting off from sin, was now united to the Lord. And so it didn't just convey a negative idea, breaking off of sin and stubbornness of heart. It conveyed something positive. Again, you turn to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 30, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. What was circumcision intended to convey? Cutting off from sin in order that you might have life and blessing. That's why circumcision was so important. It identified a people as being in covenant relationship with the Lord. It communicated to them the essence of the problem of sin and the, the blessing of God giving life and blessing by that inward change of heart when they're no longer stubborn, but when they delight in the Lord. So circumcision was important uh, for these reasons. The need for our natures to be changed and to be renewed uh, and freed from sin's hold on them. But as we look over history, what happens is, is that people begin to put their confidence in the outward, in the physical, in the external act of doing things. People become confident that they're right with God because they were circumcised. Because they did the things uh, that were expected uh, outwardly. Uh, and they put their confidence uh, in that physical ceremony. We are the circumcised. We are not like the uncircumcised Philistines. That was their confidence. They had gone through the ritual, as it were. And so they begin to put their confidence in their own doing, in their own performance. They could point uh, to themselves and assure themselves that they were right with God. And the human heart hasn't changed. People can still fall into the same trap. I know that I'm right with God because I have done the things outwardly expected of me. That religion is just an outward act. As long as I, I have done the baptism thing, then I'm okay. That I've, I can check that off and now I can live however I want. Or a person can say, I look at the law of God and that I, I try to obey the law of God and I do these things and therefore I'm a good person and God is happy with me. 
but they failed to realize what the law was given for. The law was meant to show them God's will and to expose them to their own corruption so that they would see their need of mercy. The law doesn't save, but people can take something and distort it and think, I've done these things, and now God must be happy with me. The same thing happened even with circumcision. People begin to build their confidence on the performance of it. Now, if you go back into the first century, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that there was no small controversy when the nations came into the church, when the nations were being gathered unto Christ, when the nations were being part of the people of God. There was no small controversy. Why? Because of the issue of circumcision. What about the Gentiles? Are they going to be circumcised? And we're going to impose that on all people, regardless of their backgrounds. And you remember that some of Paul's strongest rhetoric was against those who insisted that one must be circumcised physically. Or how the Jerusalem council came together and the apostles and the elders made a decision that was binding on all the churches that circumcision was not binding any longer. How did they come to that conclusion? But why were there some that, that were insisting, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved? There were some that had put such confidence in the right that they were elevating it to the point that this is what saves a person. You did the thing required. And so here we're seeing the performance of what people do elevated beyond or detached from its meaning. Circumcision pointed beyond itself to an inward change of the heart, a cutting off from sin and a new life that brings life and blessing. But these people were missing that when they saw the coming of Christ fulfilled it. And so we have this rite of circumcision that becomes uh, a source of controversy. Paul here simply alludes to it as he's writing to the church in Colossae. This controversy probably is not as um, intense as it was in Galatia. And yet it was there throughout the first century. And so Paul is able to address it very quickly and very briefly that rather than looking to the traditions, the customs, the commandments of men, rather than embracing some of these practices of the Old Testament period, Paul says, I want you to understand that if you're in Christ, you're complete. You don't need to submit to those traditions, those customs from the Old Covenant period. And we want to see why. So we want to see not only the right of circumcision, but the realization of circumcision in Christ. In verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, uh, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Paul writes here uh, that it's no longer binding because it's fulfilled in Jesus himself. We already mentioned this language of union, union with Christ. And we highlighted how that language of union is pictured in different ways in the Bible. The vine and the branches. Or as a marriage, the two shall become one. There's a connection where one enjoys the benefits from that relationship. You young people, 
many of you, most of you, had to get in a car to come to church this morning because where you live is far away from this location. But you probably also know that to get in a car, you need a driver's license. To drive a car, you need to have a license. And you don't have a driver's license, hopefully, if you're under 16. But you got here this morning. How did you get to church? You got to church because you were united with someone who did have a driver's license. You got in a vehicle and your mom or your dad drove from point A, your home, to point B, this place. And as a result of your mom and dad's work, their license, their accomplishments, you're here. You derive the benefits of what your parents have accomplished. That's a picture of union. And that's what Paul is trying to argue here. He's trying to tell people you don't have to go through this old ceremony because in Christ you already have. Because in Christ it's already been checked off. It's already been realized. And notice here how he explains that because he says in him also you have been circumcised. That's his argument. You don't have to submit to these uh, customs because it's already realized in Jesus. Now notice here, he uses that, that's the main verb, that's the main sentence. In him, you were circumcised. And then everything else is going to fall underneath that. He's gonna give a series of clauses that are all explaining what he means when he says, you were circumcised. And we wanna look at them very briefly together the way in which they were circumcised. He says, first, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Ordinarily, circumcision was a procedure that was done with human hands. Someone would be circumcised, but it was a, a surgery that was done with uh, a knife and the skin was cut off. But here Paul says, a greater circumcision has happened because it's made without hands. That is without human hands. In other words, it is a work of God. You remember in the Old Testament when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a stone that comes crashing down and that stone grows and grows. It's a kingdom uh, that grows to fill the earth. That stone, it tells us in Daniel, it was a stone that was cut without human hands. What was that meaning? A stone cut without human hand. It meant it was, it was a stone of God's own work. This kingdom that will fill the earth is not the work of man. It's, it's the power of God. It's a work of God. And so here, Paul is saying, you were circumcised. But it wasn't, it wasn't the work of a man. It wasn't the ability of men to carry it out. What has happened is the work of God being realized. He says, secondly, not only were you circumcised uh, with a circumcision made without hands, but a circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh or the sins of the body of the flesh. Again, instead of it just being a, a skin, an outward uh, part of the body being cut off, here uh, it is a circumcision taking place that involves the putting off of the old nature, uh, putting off sin itself, putting off the body of the flesh. Uh, it is a realization of what that physical circumcision was pointing to, an inward change, putting off 
the actual sin instead of just the outward uh, skin of the body. Thirdly, he says, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision by the circumcision of Christ. How does all of this take place? How does an old, our old sinful nature come to be taken off? He says it's because of the circumcision of Christ. Uh, the Gospels tell us, Luke labors the point, that Jesus was physically circumcised. But in Jesus' case, that circumcision was actually pointing forward to what he was going to experience. Because Jesus is that offspring of Abraham who would be cut off. That as circumcision portrayed the gospel, circumcision was telling them that the offspring of Abraham, the, the one that would come from the line of Abraham, would be cut off. Blood would be shed. But the result would be life and blessing. And so Jesus, when he was circumcised as a child, it was anticipating what would happen to him. Jesus himself would be cut off from the land of the living, as Isaiah foretold, stricken for the transgression, for the sins of the people. And so uh, it is all uh, described here uh, in Jesus' own circumcision. Now, if we go back into chapter 1, at verse 21, Jesus' death, his sacrifice, is described as the way in which reconciliation happens with God. By the sacrifice of himself, uh, it says there in verse 22, um, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. It's by his death that sinners can be restored with God. But now Paul is using that language of the body of his flesh to describe what his death accomplishes which ultimately, through the work of the Spirit, is the circumcision of the heart, the changing of those who were dead in their sins to be alive, that they put off their old self and exchange it uh, for a new self. Like putting off our dirty clothes after working out in the yard, and we put on new clothes. Paul is saying a circumcision has happened where the old self is cut off, and there's a new inward allegiance to God, a new nature uh, that is remaining, that is accomplished and found in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and it is uh, realized ultimately according to pro God's promise. So God promised Abraham, in you, Abraham, all the offspring, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's going to be through your offspring that this happens. It'll be through the offspring uh, the, ultimately in the Christ who is cut off that the nations are blessed. And Paul is celebrating. Do you see everything that the Old Testament was saying is realized in Jesus? You don't need to submit to this ceremony that was anticipating Christ's coming because Christ has come. Christ was circumcised. And so by union with Christ, you are circumcised. Christ was cut off. He realized what the picture was. And as a result, you enjoy the benefits of life and blessing with God. Just as circumcision uh, 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 is accomplished uh, uh, by the work of the Spirit, it comes not only by, by a conviction of sin, 
but it comes from a discovery of God's grace in Jesus. That's when the old sinful desire breaks its stronghold and a new desire is implanted by the Spirit where a person identifies with Jesus more than they want to identify with sin. They give themselves to Christ because they delight in him, one who was willing to be cut off from the land of the living in order that they might have life in him. That, that is the work of the Spirit uh, in their life. So Paul is arguing here why they don't need to be circumcised. But fourth, he mentions something else. He says, in him you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Then in verse 12, he says, having been buried with him in baptism. Most of us, when we see that word baptism, are going to readily jump at it because it's a word that we can resonate with. We know what baptism is more than circumcision perhaps. It's more readily concrete to us. But it's important, and this can sound rather technical, it's important that when you read verse 12 there, that what is being said is a participle. It is something that hangs on a verb. And it's best to look at what he says, having been buried with him in baptism, as connecting back to in him you were circumcised. Why is that important? It's important because Paul is drawing a connection between circumcision and baptism. That connection is not made by John Calvin. It's not a connection made by Augustine. It's a connection that the Apostle Paul himself is making. And it doesn't matter whether we think of it as physical water of baptism or the spiritual baptism of uh, water, uh, of baptism, the, the connection is still there and it is important. But because he's been talking about spiritual circumcision, it's likely that he is thinking here about spiritual baptism that he is thinking about uh, the equivalent of what John the Baptist said, there is one coming after him who is mightier than him who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, it is the work of the Spirit that transforms the heart and unites sinners to Christ. But it is significant that Paul uses the word baptism because he didn't need to. Paul could have said everything that he said and simply said regeneration. He could have just simply highlighted, you have been circumcised with Christ, but he does make that connection. And he's making that connection on purpose. He's trying to emphasize that both of these are spiritual signs that point to Christ. Circumcision points to the Messiah who would be cut off. Baptism signifies what the cutting off of the Messiah achieves, the washing away of sins and of all impurities. But if spiritual circumcision finds its equivalent, it finds its correlation, it finds its connection with spiritual baptism, then we only have to ask, what does physical, physical circumcision find its connection with in the new covenant? One area where faithful brothers and sisters in Christ differ 
is on the recipients of baptism. All Christians agree that anyone who professes faith in Jesus should be, Baptist, uh, should be baptized. And in that sense, we are all credo-baptists. We all believe that one professes faith should be baptized. But most of the church down through the history has also baptized their children. And this is something that can be very confusing to, to, to some Christians. Why is it that we baptize children of believers? Ligon Duncan gives us three helpful questions to ask to work through these matters. The first is to ask, is water baptism a covenant sign? And when we just look at this one passage before us, Paul connects circumcision and baptism. And we can see that circumcision was a sign of God's promise, of what God promised to do, that God would be a God who would circumcise their hearts. And baptism now finds its correlation in that. And so it serves as the sign of the new covenant, the giving of the spirit, as Paul explains elsewhere. The second question after we ask, is water baptism a covenant sign? Is our children of believers part of the covenant community of grace under the new covenant like they were under the old? Again, nobody argues that children were not part of the covenant of grace in the days of Abraham. But to answer this question, we turn to the day of Pentecost. You remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching to the crowd. And as he preaches to them, he's explaining to them. He says, you crucify Jesus. But God has raised him from the dead. And Peter goes on to say that the Father has sent the promise of the Holy Spirit who has been poured out. Very suggestive language that Peter is using. But notice more than that. When Peter uh, is preaching to them on the day of Pentecost, Luke captures that by saying, and they were what? They were cut to the heart. They were spiritually circumcised. The inward change came upon them. And they said, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Then he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. That's highly significant. It's highly significant, not just because Peter says the word children. It's significant because Peter is echoing the Abrahamic promise. We read in Genesis 17, God's promise was is that I will be a God to you and to your children after you, not just to your nation, but also to the foreigner who comes within your midst. In other words, to those who are far off. The reason why the Christian church has long held the practice of covenant baptism as we believe in the immutability of God. His ways do not change, and he is pleased to be a God unto us and to our children. And the reason why we baptize is that we have to ask the question, when Peter speaks to Jews on the day of Pentecost and they hear him echoing the promise, the promises to you and to your children and to those who are far off, they hear the Abrahamic promise what would any Israelite conclude? But what Isaiah and Jeremiah said, 
the new covenant includes our children just as the old. So we ask the question, is water baptism a covenant sign? Secondly, are children part of the covenant community? And then thirdly, if God uh, gave promises and a sign to, believer, uh, to believers and their children in the Old Testament, should we give the sign to believers and their children in the New Testament? The sign of baptism is God promising something. The sign of baptism is the promise that God is a God who can wash away our sins. That God who by his spirit unites us to Christ gives life and in him we find blessing. Baptism is an objective sign. Not everyone who is baptized is saved just as not everyone who is circumcised is saved. And yet the promise is still significant. And so people baptize children of believers, not because they can discern the will of God, not because they know the mind of God, but because they live in obedience to his precepts. And they know that God is pleased from generation to generation to work through families, the sphere that he has created. The issue, though, is not whether we have been physically circumcised, but whether we have been cut to the heart. Have we been made new by the work of the Spirit, so that we who were dead in our sin have been made alive to delight in God through Christ? Have we been changed? That's what Paul is getting at. We all need to be changed, but the change is not accomplished by going through an outward ceremony of circumcision. That change is one of the spirit. Paul says elsewhere, circumcision is a matter of the heart, which is by the spirit. And so if we have been changed by God's grace, if the spirit has caused us to be convicted of our sin and to delight in the Lord Jesus, who was cut off to bring salvation, then we can rejoice. So Paul is actually protecting their joy here. When they hear messages all around them, you need to do these things or you won't be fully saved. You need to abide by these customs if you're going to be truly wise. If you're going to live a full life, you have to be doing all these practices. And Paul is saying, it's all about Christ. Do you know who Christ is? Because if you do, you're complete. You don't even need circumcision. All you need is Christ. And if you have come to that conviction, rejoice. Because as Paul says in verse 12, it only comes about by the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Circumcision was pointing to the work of God's grace in changing a sinner to delight in God. Baptism is pointing to the work of God's grace and uniting a sinner to the living Christ. We can, we can wrestle with the outward rites, but it's the inward reality of knowing Jesus that is central. And that's what Paul is trying to argue here. Have you been cut to the heart? Have you come to know Jesus as Lord? Have you come to delight in him above all else? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, your word and how there are various messages that can pull us in different directions, we pray, Lord, that again and again we would be driven back to see the all-sufficiency in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to be cut off for the transgressions of many in order that they might find life and blessing in him. So go before us, we pray, and give us wisdom and discernment. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.